0: Uh, Okay, let's get into the word because I'm a minister and I do preach. Uh, I've been accused of not being one, but apparently I don't know where that came from. We're in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, if you have a Bible, open up. If you don't, uh, these lovely folks will be walking down the aisles with these stacks of books. They're exhausted, overwhelmed. They need to be delivered from this burden, so raise your hand, they'll give you one. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep it. We're going through those like poop through a goose. People are taking those Bibles. Yeah, Over here. Wait, what are you doing without a Bible? Oh, that's right. You're my security. Yeah. Uh, so, Jeremiah 18. Now, Jeremiah, and this is the Anchored Reading Series, which you guys should be on. It's a two-year through-the-Bible reading. I've been doing it. God speaks to me through this. And I was doing my reading this week, and it's, I've been busy. I've been to uh, six cities in five days. Um, it was a whirlwind tour, and when I'm finished here, I'm heading out again. Um, Lots going on, um, and I'll fill you in on that, but I don't miss a beat reading The Anchored. And I got to this passage, and I have to tell you, this passage uh, brought me a little bit of anxiety because a lot of you know that I helped try to uh, resolve a failing ministry uh, that had been abusive, and I, I I was used to close it out and try to bring the kids home, and uh, I, I saw the dark underbelly and how the sausage was made, and it just, it, it, it was sad, because I considered this person a friend for many years, and I, I pray for them, but this was the passage they would use when they would travel the country to share their story, and many people were touched by their lives, uh, but, you know, there's three things that get you uh, in the ministry, uh, gold, glory, or gals, if you're a man, men, if you're women, uh, or, uh, anyways, uh, right now, I'm not leaving you out, I'm just saying, it, it, it's the way it works, it, okay, where were we? So. But we all are drawn to those things as opposed to what we've been called to. And we compromise. And that's what happened in this ministry. But this was the passage that this, one, this, this man would, Mike Rozelle, he would read out of it. And I, I started reading it and I could just go back because I'd seen the presentation over 50 times. And I finally just had to pause because my, my, seriously, my chest was tight. I'm like, I, I was getting flashbacks of, of that. And, and the, the deception and the corruption and the pain and, and being deceived like that. Because I, I wanted to help. And then um, I just said, Lord, would you give me a fresh set of eyes to see this? And he blessed me. And I'll show you how he blessed me. It's not going to be a typical expositional study. I'm not going to go through the history of Jeremiah. I'm not going to give you the list of who he's speaking to and how it was put together. You'll get it just simply the way I did. And I pray it ministers to you. I will give you a, a, a deep dive education with a flyover of some terms you've probably never heard. But you need them right now. Because as I travel the country... As uh, Vodi Bachman in his book called Fault Lines, the church is separating, America's separating. Uh, this, this has caused some folks to awaken and others to uh, be enveloped in fear. And uh, this passage ministered to me because a lot of folks in the world have given up hope. A lot of folks in America have given up hope. And, and, and that misery is being proclaimed from the pulpits of America. And that's justified by a term called eschatology, which means the study of the end times. I'll give you an example. If you have a watch or you have a phone with a clock on it, time exists, and and physicists point this out, time exists because there needs to be a beginning and an end. And you guys are older now. I I drove back this morning from San Diego for my mother-in-law's birthday. I was supposed to meet President Trump on Saturday, which was my mother's, mother-in-law's birthday, and of course, uh, priority. Uh, so I, I went to her birthday, and, amen? Come on, she's an amazing lady. So, so I remember, I've been married 31 years, I remember being at something similar because we would gather every year. I remember being at something similar with my wife's grandmother. My grandmother-in-law, and I remember her sitting in the seat that my mother-in-law is sitting in now, and all that happened is I moved up a row, and my mother-in-law moved up a row, and my grandmother-in-law moved on. Time's moving, and the kids behind me, I'm looking, I'm going, get ready, you're moving up a row, and they're like, well, so are you, you know, and I said, shut up, you know, that's not fair. And, and all the same people, just a little bit grayer, and gravity's taking hold of some areas, and, but, but, but that's life. Because time to exist, there needs to be a beginning and an end, and we all have that in common. Uh, time's going to wrap up for us. Now, whatever you believe about the end times, whatever you believe about life, why you're here, all that's going to be covered. But in America right now, there's a struggle wondering, what is this all about, and, and is there a God, and are these laws of nature, and nature's God, is this where our rights come from? And everybody is, is re-examining these truths. And there's a number of you, you've never darkened the doors of a church, and you're here because you're like, okay, I'll examine this because things I used to take for granted that I thought were intrinsic to our society have disappeared. And and where did that foundation come from? So we're, we're dusting off the old books, we're looking at it and trying to figure it all out. And I say this because when I'm watching this occur and time existing, I'm watching churches across America use eschatology, their study of when they think it all ends, to justify their apathy and inactivity to participate in contending with tyranny in the world. Late last night, I'm driving back, I'm listening on a major radio station with a major Christian speaker saying this, you cannot stop the juggernaut of Christ's imminent return. There's no way you can change government. There's nothing you can do. You just need to prepare for his soon return. I wanted to jump into the radio and grab that person and shake them. I was thinking to myself, there's a reason why your church has a bunch of gray-haired people, and that's not an offense because I'm gray. We're the only ones left. Last one out. Turn off the lights. The reason why your church is dying is because what young person would want to go to your church with that apathy and that pessimism? Yeah. That's not to dismiss your eschatology. There's, there's different views of it. But I will say this. If you think that, that the only hope for mankind is the rapture, all of the kids that once went to your, your church, they're going to tune in to Greta Thunberg because if it, she has more hope because if she can stop cows from flatulating, they can have a future. <laughs> but you're giving them nothing, and you're telling them they need not participate, and yet all of the misery they're facing is because of the 50 years of apathy the church has, has engaged in. By using their eschatology to avoid their responsibility. And that's going to end today. You think you can't stop the juggernaut. Well, that's the beauty of the anchored reading. When I asked the Lord for fresh eyes, he gave me Jeremiah 18. And he'll minister to you. It did to me. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor. The other We tolerate. Verse 1, I'm only going to go 10 verses so you won't stand long. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at a wheel, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel... Can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. That's God speaking. You turn from your wicked ways, he'll hear from heaven and heal your land. This minister to me. We're going to take a look at all of it. Let's pray and ask God for wisdom. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's living and breathing and sharpening two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We stand in honor of it for it's true. And Lord, I ask that you would awaken us, that we would know that truth, that truth would set us free. Lord, you've come to set the captives free. All 66 books of the Bible, cover to cover, it's about you coming to deliver us from the enslavement of those who would seek to operate in a context apart from the laws of nature and nature's God. They think mankind is to be abused, but you want us to flourish. You want us to, as your imago Day created in your image, to obtain levels of excellence that many have never seen. Lord, we're grateful to be citizens of a nation, 245 years of unprecedented freedom, more patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies, Air conditioning created by an American, elevator created by an American, airplane created by all that, Lord. You, you did that because you gave us freedom. And that freedom comes from liberty. Liberty is doing what's right, honoring you, acknowledging you. And then, Lord, from that moral law comes civil law, and we watch a nation flourish. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. But, Lord, when the wicked rule, we groan. And we have been doing a lot of groaning lately, Lord. Would you awaken us and show us what we're supposed to do? Lord, I know a lot of folks in this room don't have a clue what we're about, but God bless them for being here. And Lord, I pray that you would minister to them. Do what no man can do. Allow them to see yourself, even as man clouds who you are, because we're poor representations of your character. So Lord, please, we ask that you administer now. Bless us, Lord, we pray. Lead us into all truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a seat. Relax. Take a load off. I'll stand up here and suffer. So, um, uh, six cities, five days. Um, I I want to tell you this and it'll it'll all tie in. I won't tell you the airline. I won't tell you the day. uh, So as to protect the flight crew. Um, it's a East to West coast deal. My wife is with me watching these two attendants. They're funny. My wife and I are wearing the fake masks and, uh, I'm just done with it. I just take it off. And the flight attendant comes up and, and she, she says, I know you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she says, uh, so's the other attendant. Uh, and the captain knows you. And you're making a difference. Keep it up. And she said, you're not wearing that on this flight. I'm like, Thank you. And my wife is over there praying with her. And she, I'm going to bring her to church. I have to protect her because, you know, that industry that kick her out. And I just thought, you know, Lord, if we're faithful, you're, you're, you're able. I don't know how you connected them to this and how that plane is affected by this community but with you, Lord, all things are possible. And I, I, was, I was encouraged. And I, I, was leaving, I was leaving from Tampa, went to Miami, and, and in Tampa there were almost 5,000 college students. They were on fire. And, and it's a secular 501c3 uh, organization, and they, we had a, ser- a church service in the morning, voluntary, packed. And these kids were on fire. They were stoked. I got to preach it. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> pastors were there that are getting ready to join us in the turning point faith division uh they're excited about it great things are in store and then uh i'm, I'm coming back i'm i'm tired and getting ready to come be with you guys and charlie says hey uh can you go to albuquerque with me tomorrow <laughs> yeah. yeah albuquerque never been there well no i drove through it <laughs> late at night yeah, i got a big gulp and then kept going but uh <laughs> Well, there's a cool pastor there, Steve Smotherman. He was one of the first pastors to call me in the midst of this. And he just said, I'm, we've never met. I'm just calling to tell you. I'm praying for you. And I loved him before I knew him. And I, I said, yeah, Charlie, I'll go with you. So I land at LAX. Michelle and I get home about a little after midnight. I have a nice sleep because uh, the flight attendants were talking to us the whole time. Bless their heart. And they're Very motivated by what we're doing, but that didn't get you any sleep. So we, we, I get home, and um, I, I literally I don't have any clean clothes. I try to find what I have and put them in a bag. And then I'm up at 5 and head over to the airport to catch a regional flight to Albuquerque because not a lot of planes go there because it's the most depressed place on the planet. <laughs> Nobody wants to travel to Albuquerque. There's a reason why they film Breaking Bad there. <laughs> Seriously. The minute I landed, I'm like, I can't breathe. This place is awful. You could just feel the oppression. They have un- unbelievable, uh, the highest unemployment highest murder rate highest car theft rate everywhere you go it's like a meth vehicle driving by it was awful and you just and it's surrounded by indian re- reservations and they're all suffering cuz you know the government really knows how to let your life flourish when they're in control of you and 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 the state is in a mess and you talk to anyone where are you from nobody's from anywhere but there and they just couldn't leave and 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 i'm 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 burdened to go there and i'm i'm I do the interview with wall builders up on the roof of the parking structure at LAX because I got there early and then I I go to catch my flight. I get on the regional bus to go out to the regional terminal and of course the flight's delayed but I'm on this bus. There's the back of the bus, there's the front of the bus and the bus driver's encased in plexiglass. I'm near the luggage rack and there's an employee across from me, an American Airlines employee right by the opening door. A woman and her three teenage children get... On the bus and they sit all the way in the back. And I'm standing by the luggage rack. And we start driving. And the woman says to the man across from me, who's on his break, he's doesn't, he's not on work, tell that man in the front of the bus to put his mask on, as all three of her children and herself are wearing N95 masks. I'm like, You're crazy. <laughs> and she says, Tell them to put tell him to put his mask on. And the guy goes, What? Tell him to put the mask on. And I've had three hours of sleep, and the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. <laughs> and I knew at that moment, in your anger, do not sin, and to sin is just open your mouth. So I'm biting my tongue. At this point, it's bleeding. <laughs> and and the, the guy's sweet. He just goes over. He goes, hey, put your mask on. He's like, oh, whatever. Okay, COVID Karen. So he puts his mask on. And uh, <laughs> yeah, COVID Karen. That's her name. Yeah. If you're named Karen, it, it's, it has nothing to do with you. So we get to the terminal, terminal's packed, flight's delayed, I, I make some calls, and now it's time to get on the plane, I get on the plane, it's a small jet, single row here, and then two seats here with an aisle, and it goes all the way back, and I sit here, guess who sits in front of me, <laughs> hey Karen, how you doing, got her N95, her two boys are right directly across from me, and then her daughter's in the one seat, and then somebody else is there, and we take off. The flight attendant is just like the group that was with us the night before. I, I call her Peppermint Patty, she's full of joy. She's looking at me going, these masks are so stupid. I go, I know, right? And she goes, you don't have to wear it. I'm like, I love you. <laughs> and so I've got my mask off and I'm sitting behind Karen and, and uh, they're giving snacks and they bring her a drink and the minion of children uh, give her, them drinks and, and they do this. They, 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 they take the mask down, take the sip, put the mask up. They have the nuts on the table, they take it down, put the mask up. And the mask is going, you know. and, 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 and the peppermint patty attendant comes up and goes, ma'am, you, you can take your mask off while, while, while you're eating. She goes, it's not safe. And children, don't, don't you do that. Yes, mom. And and she looks at me, the attendant looks at me like, I'm like, yeah. know. And, 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 and I'm all, all I'm eating has gone, my drink is empty, I've got my mask off, I'm enjoying behind Karen. And I look over to my right and her children are staring me down. And I, you know, I look over at the snuffleupacuses and I say, why are you looking at me? Karen's asleep. And a lot of you are going to leave the church after this. Now, I'm not justifying it, but I'm on three hours sleep. And, and they're looking at me. And I go, why are you looking at me? And, and they, they won't talk. They're paralyzed. I'm just staring them down like alpha male. They're like, arr, arr, arr. and I'm staring at them. And the, the daughter and the two boys are looking at me. I go, why are you looking at me? Quit quit looking at me. And And they turn away. And then they're still looking at me. And I turn over to my, because I saw my peripheral, I look over and I go, I said, are you going to do anything? Now, some of you think that I should go to prison. We'll talk later. And, and, and they don't do anything. And I, I said, I thought so. And I just went back to my life. The plane lands. Uh, Steve is waiting to pick me up. He's like, I, I'm circling around again. I'll meet you out in front. I'm hustling to get down. I get on the escalator in the resplendent Albuquerque airport. I'm coming down the escalator and, and Karen's in front of me. With the, the the three, and I go, I, I go. Excuse me, and she turns around. And I go, your your kids are cowards. I I I I provoked them and I intimidated them. I had my mask off the whole time while you were sleeping and they didn't do anything. And I challenged them and they still didn't do anything. And you know why? You've raised them to be scared and they don't have a spine. They're not gonna go anywhere in life. (laughs) And she was confused with the context. She's like, wait, what? And she's looking at the children like they're looking down. They're like, oh God, we're in trouble. And I get in the car and drive off. I don't know what happened, but that (laughs) is what I did. And that's where we are. And how that ties into the story, I don't know, but I... But that, and, and then, you know, we did Albuquerque, came back here in San Diego, and we were here. But while I was in Albuquerque, Charlie threw out an altar call. I've never seen him do that before. He had never done it. He's given the gospel, but, you know, there was some oppression there. And, and Steve was thinking there'd be 800 people on a midweek. There were 5,000 people standing room only. And Pastor Steve came out, yeah, but you'll clap on this one. Pastor Steve comes out, and he says, listen... Um, the governor is considering locking down the state again. He says, I just want all of you to know, if she does that, we are going to revolt. And the place erupted. They were just like cheering. Yeah. And there was amazing ministry. Charlie shares a history. He talks about Benedict, Benedict Arnold. He'd done some great homework. I really love the direction he's going, things he's doing. And then the people come forward in droves for ministry. Folks who've never darkened the doors of a church but want liberty and they're touched. Lots of prayer happening. And Charlie comes back and he's, I've never seen him this way, he looked dizzy. I go, are you all right? Because we were at altitude. And he goes, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I go, man, you know, it's one thing to take on political entities and life goes okay. But when you contend for souls and plucking them out of, uh, of eternal destruction, separation from God, you know, the enemy doesn't roll over and just give you that. And he goes, I, I've never felt this before. And, and, and he overcame it, it was amazing. But this is the part that I want to get to. At this point, we're wondering what God wants to do. And I, I figure, well, I've got some time, so I open up my email. And I don't know how you feel about prophecy. I'm kind of skeptical. I've, I've seen, I had some really cool ones happen in my life, but I still, it's kind of like, eh, it's kind of like Christian fortune telling. It gets a, a little weird sometimes. And, and you know, and when they're wrong, you don't get to stone them nowadays like you could in the past. <laughs> I really should not be preaching right now. <laughs> but this blessed me so much. Uh, I open it up, and I'm, I'm literally standing across from, from Charlie. This person has no idea where I am. They have no idea. They, they don't know. Hi, Pastor Rob. I texted you but wanted to be sure you received this today, this morning at 4 a.m., July 21st, which is today, that day when I was with Charlie. When I was praying, I saw a wall of arches in front of the church. People were sitting all around and I heard them say that the storehouse was inside. They were two people of note, one young man sitting on the arch with his leg stretched out and in a relaxed position as if he was waiting for you. He was probably in his early 30s, late 20s, uh, wearing a black suit, no jacket, white shirt, very tall, slender with dark hair, may have been Charlie Kirk. There was also an old man similar to stature to Pastor Marty, you may or may not know him, but with long gray hair and Middle Eastern-looking, pacing in front of the doors uh, to the church. Both of them were waiting for you, and I got up to interpret the storehouses and opened the Bible to Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Please read it. There is definite blessing that is still going to be poured out on the church, even more than what you've seen. I hope you find solace in this. Once you read this scripture, you will understand why I had to deliver it today. Today is July 21st. Well, I went to Haggai chapter 2. In the seventh month of the 21st day is how it begins. Now, the Jewish calendar is different, but that's still kind of cool. But July 21st. In the seventh month of the 21st day, and God brought her there, uh, of the month of the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of she- Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of of the people saying who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory and how do you see it now in comparison with it is this not in your eyes as nothing yet now be strong Zerubbabel says the lord and be strong Joshua son of Jehozadak the high priest and be strong all you people of the land says the lord and work for i am with you says the lord of hosts according to the word that i covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. By the way, the word "covenanted" and "remnant" were both used in Charlie's message before I shared this with him, and he had gone into detail. And it was we were we were all bearing witness to this. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more. In a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And the idea as you go on in the rest of the chapter is God wants to bless us as a nation. I don't believe he's finished with us. And I have a confidence in that. but I'm watching the church of uh, uh, divide in America as I'm watching America divide. And they're dividing over how it all ends. Some people want to usher in the end times. Some people are all gearing up for the rapture and you're moving to Montana in a gated facility, your chain link fence and you got all your canned goods and your AR-15 and you're waiting for the, take me up Lord, just purple clothes and some nickels in your pocket for the halibop Comet to come. I'm not, look, Calvary Chapel's pre-trib, pre-millennial. A lot of you don't know what that means. It's our view of the end times. And I'm going to go through four different scenarios. We're going to fly over it like I did coming here over the Grand Canyon. I, I saw the Grand Canyon. Really quick. I didn't get to see the splendor of it and go into the detail and how I didn't get up. But I tell the Grand Canyon, you're going to see the four types of eschatology. So you're going to get an understanding of what's divided in America. And whether you're a churchgoer or not, it's still going to apply because we're still breathing this air and living on this dirt. And we have to get along. And you have to understand what these knuckleheads are trying to struggle with and why they're using their eschatology to justify their apathy. And as I listened to that person, I got frustrated. I, I, I like eschatology. But you are not permitted to use it to justify your apathy. And to say that dominionism, that that, that there's an eschatology that you're going to usher in and and the world's going to be a perfect place, that'll never happen. There's a sin nature. where There's always going to be someone who's going to screw it all up for everybody else. But the world can be a better place and we can contend for that. And you're going to see in the eschatology how the world has started to process this. And then I'm going to come to the passage, I'm going to wrap it up and you're going to see how it all applies to us through the passage of Jeremiah, chapter 18, that God wants to do something. And if you are going to sit there and not be available because you're waiting for the rapture, you're outside the will of God. We're gonna begin with one type of eschatology, and this is what the founders of our nation held to. Uh, the Christians that put this nation together, the, the founders that were churchgoers, the ones that went through the first and second great awakening, like John Adams, uh, you know, you, you had to the New England Primer, if you see which was the first textbook in America, you, you went through the catechism, the Westminster uh, Catechism. The, these folks were, the vernacular in, in early America was all inundated with Scripture. And this was their view of the end times. It was uh, amillennialism. This is the belief that a thousand-year reign of Jesus is spiritual rather than actual. Jesus reigns in the hearts of his followers now and, and not on a future throne in Jerusalem. The first resurrection, which we find mentioned in Revelation 25, isn't a physical rising from the dead in which dead bodies come back to life, but instead it's a spiritual regeneration. Christ already triumphed over Satan through his death and resurrection. That work on the cross restrained the power of Satan on earth the Apostle John wrote about that, Revelation 20. Now, by the way, for those of you who have different uh, views, and if I misrepresent one of them, I- I'm just going to say right now, I'm not, I'm not a huge scholar on this. I'm giving you a flyover. If I get something wrong, I'll correct it. But this isn't the point. The point is where I'm going at the end, okay? Stay with it, and you'll see. I'm just giving an outline. If I misrepresent it, tell me, I'll fix it. Going on with amillennialism, the persecution of Christians they consider to be the tribulation it started shortly after Jesus left and will continue until his return. The expansion of God's kingdom is the millennium, not a literal thousand years. We are, now, we are in it now, and it will continue until Jesus' return. At the time of his return, Jesus will defeat the residual powers of evil and restore life to the dead, both the just and the unjust. And after that, each individual will face their eternal destinies, most if not all. Uh, of the references to Israel that we find in the book of Revelation are symbolic it doesn't mean that the Jewish people uh, but refers to the elect of God or the church so they're not real uh, pro-Israel like a premillennialist would be and I'll explain that later but they do believe that we're ushering in the second coming of the Lord by setting up his kingdom on the earth not in perfection you'll never reach perfection because there's a sin nature but they're the ones who set up Harvard and Yale, which were to educate ministers. They're the ones that gave us a constitutional republic by looking at a constitutional republic in Exodus when Jethro said to Moses, appoint godly men who are not covetous, who love the law over thousands, hundreds, 50 cents. They get all of this, they put it together to give us a form of government unprecedented in the 6,000 years of recorded history came out of this eschatology. And it it was brilliant. And and here's here's where it came from. Probably around the 5th century, It remained a popular view ever since a highly respected theologian Augustine is thought by some to be responsible for this theory, view of the end times. Other great theologians to have taken the same positions, Martin Luther, John Calvin, E.W. Mullins, and J.I. Packard. He's gone to be the Lord, but it's a heady one, but it's one, and, and by the way, every eschatology has an asset and a liability. There's good and bad about it. And, and, the, and they're like belly buttons. Everybody's got one full of lint. <laughs> now here's the second one, post-millennialism. Post-millennialism, it, this is almost socialist. This is the church wanting to be communist. And I'll show you why. Postmillennialism is the view that the return of Jesus will take place after the millennium, but in this view, the millennium represents a long period of time, not a thousand years. This borrows from the same understanding found in amillennialism. During this indefinite period of time, the preaching of the gospel occurs, most of the world will submit to the words of Jesus and become saved. Satan will lose his power over the earth, and evil regimes will collapse, as seen in the passage of Revelation 19. Jesus will rule the earth through his spirit and then the power of his church, but his presence on the earth will be spiritual, not physical. The resurrection that we see mentioned in Revelation 20 is the regeneration of the people who trust in Jesus, the second coming, the culmination of the conflict between good and evil, the defeat of Satan, the physical resurrection of the dead, and their judgment all happen immediately following the millennium. It's all convoluted, but the idea is we can usher in a perfection. This was put together by Joachim of uh, Fiora uh, in the 11th century. He was a Christian visionary and an abbot whose teaching of the three-stage providential history kindled tremendous expectations for the reform of the Catholic Church and the coming of the new age of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Fiori taught that instead of a cataclysmic end uh, like the... the, uh, tribulation a cataclysmic end of the world in which the elect alone escapes destruction he imagined the transformation of the entire world into a spiritual kingdom where we all get to sing kumbaya now if you're yeah, I'm, I'm not making fun of it but the idea is somehow we obtain perfection now that's a tough one that's, that's got some liabilities it's got some assets the hope for man and you know, they, they 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 see a need to try to change things they're usually involved in social issues it was popular in the 1800s during the missionary expansion. This view came into much wider acceptance. But then a serious problem occurred because they thought Christians are going to change the world. And they started doing it. And everyone was excited. And this was, this was a very popular eschatology until we had two world wars. And we watched the modern era destroy 6.5 million Jews and over 50 million people in the most vile and heinous imaginable, wondering the depravity of man and wondering where was this Christian Uh, kingdom, what happened? And they were disillusioned. Economic depression put strain on the interpretation. The world was not getting better from the influence of the gospel. It was getting worse, but not because of the gospel. So this previously popular view of eschatology fell out of favor with many in the church. Supporters of this view include some of the great scholars of recent past, such as Jonathan Edwards, B.B. Warfield, uh, also R.C. Sproul. I I like that guy. Here's the history of premillennialism. It's a belief, uh, this this is the, sorry, this is, this is the next one. This is the third one. Historical premillennialism. This is in Calvary Chapel. This is a different type of premillennialism, historical. This is the belief that the church will be on the earth during the great tribulation, like we have to go through it. The tribulation is it's a 7-year period. The tribulation is a time of intense persecution and will serve as a way to purify the church and root out false believers. The key element of this interpretation is that the return of Christ will come before the millennium. The thousand year of Christ is interpreted as a literal and future event. God made a covenant with the father Abraham. In that covenant, he gave promise of land blessings. Those were conditional based on obedience. And so this is a replacement. They take Israel out and they put the church in its place. Now the church has replaced the nation of Israel, God's covenant people, God established a covenant of grace. So usually these churches aren't pro-Israel. They kind of back the Palestinians. You're just seeing how it breaks down, I'm helping you. Pay attention. God's promises are based on God's mercy and grace given to those who faithfully obey. The believers as embodied in the church are the true Israel, not the Jews who crucified Christ. By the way, Romans did that. Adherence to this view see passages like Romans 9, 6 and Galatians 6, 16 as uh, teaching these principles. And the people who teach this view today, some of the early church fathers taught this, including Lactantius and and Justin Martyr, uh, Papias, uh, and then Papaya, his brother. Um, some modern teachers include David Dockery, John Warwick Montgomery, Robert Gundry, and George Ladd. This is the one that Calvary Chapel, the next one, last one, this is the one that Calvary Chapel adheres to. Uh, this is the one that uh, we have prophecy updates and and. and you know, Pastor Chuck thought he'd witnessed the rapture in his lifetime. He got a personal rapture, but he, yeah. And, and by the way, their belief is in, pre, uh, uh, in dispensational premillennialism, their belief is before God ever judges the world, he always removes the righteous. Noah, Noah's ark, right, before he flooded the earth, right? Uh, uh, he, he, he removed Lot before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Tracking me? The problem is, when you watch my Coptic brothers from the Coptic Christian church in Egypt being marched out onto the shores of the Mediterranean by ISIS giants with hoods over their head and their hands tied behind their back and watching them behead them on the shores of the Mediterranean, I wonder if they're thinking, oh, we're not going to go through the tribulation. I, I wonder if this this next view of eschatology works in the 1040 window, longitude and latitude where 90% of the Muslim world exists where you practice Christianity, you, you say there's not gonna be a tribulation? They've lost their families. This is dispensational premillennialism. In this interpretation of the end times, it is taught that Jesus will return to the earth after a seven-year tribulation, and then he'll set up his kingdom on the earth and rule for an actual thousand years. But in stark contrast to the three preceding views, God will give the nation of Israel the land he promised. So they're very pro-Israel. And that's why you see most of these evangelical churches are supporting Israel and everybody wants to go. And most of the really nice spots in, in Israel were built by evangelical Christians who hold this eschatology. Almost done. I'm hurrying, you look bored, stop it. The teachers the teachers of this point of view believe that all references to Israel in the book of Revelation refer to the nation of Jews, not the church. Most adherents to this view believe a rapture event will occur before the seven-year tribulation begins. Common teaching to support this passage, Revelation 4. Uh, the apostle John's called up to heaven. This is a clinching argument for many who teach this. It's also argued that there is no mention of the church on the earth after this. The rapture is the event in which Jesus calls his bride, the church, into heaven before the tribulation. Two are grinding wheat. One is taken. You can read about it later. And you saw movies about it, you know. Okay. The, the rapture and the second coming are two separate distinct events of the end times. Another important view to consider goes by two names. Uh, many scholars lean towards a theory of a so-called mid-trib rapture. Others believe in pre-wrath rapture. That's a whole nother subset. I'm not getting into it, but this is who teaches... Uh, Dispensational premillennialism. Of the four interpretations, considering this last one has had the most recent emergence in the 1800s, possibly among the Plymouth brethren, this end-time view began to spring up as scholarship considered it and compared it with the scriptures. It grew rapidly in popularity. Many well-known teachers and scholars have adopted and taught this interpretive view. Here's a short list Uh, but it could easily stretch into hundreds. Adherents include the following, J. Nelson Darby, C.I. Schofield, Schofield Bible, Harry Ironside, Gleason Archer, Donald Barnhouse, uh, Hal Lindsey, Late Great Planet Earth, Chuck Smith, John MacArthur, uh, Charles Ryrie, Charles Stanley, Norm Geisler, Tim LaHaye, some of those folks I've met, know them. This is the view that has dominated the book publishing industry, television Uh, popular radio programs, movies, and church sermons for the last 50 to 60 years. And so everyone's waiting for the rapture because they've watched it on, you know, all these movies that were made from Tim LaHaye's books and all these things that have happened. And everyone's saying, well, we're going to get raptured. We're just polishing brass on the Titanic. We can't stop the juggernaut. Well, I can be a dispensational premillennialist and look for the soon return of Christ but if you're gonna use this to say you can't participate in in contending for the future of your children, I'm I'm sitting in a family photo. My grandmother-in-law's gone. She's been taken. My mother-in-law moves up to that seat. I'm behind her. I moved up. Life is moving. Time is ticking. And the woman before the woman who's sitting there now, her husband, she labored. he, 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 He was... One of the most highly decorated pilots in World War II, my, my wife's grandfather. He sunk the Nagato, the command ship on the attack on Pearl Harbor. He had the Navy Cross, second only to the Medal of Honor. They fought for liberty. My, my grandmother-in-law was separated from him. They knew what it was like to contend for a nation as an unprecedented freedom. And she's gone. My mother-in-law moves up. She should should be living in a retirement community doing nothing. My father-in-law worked for Lockheed and he he built the satellites that protect the nation. The the two of them have put it in. He he, he changed and he fixed engines at night to, to bring together a blended family and raise all these kids in one of the most expensive places and he never had a college degree and worked in a windowless facility in Lockheed. But he loves this nation. He contended and they raised good kids. He's 84. I'm not going to say old D is. She's not far behind him. And those seats are going to be empty and I'm going to move into them. They've all done their work. And they're not sitting around quiet. They are busting every minute. They're working hard. They've inspired an entire generation behind them. And you know what? None of them could spell eschatology, let alone understand it. But they know what it means to contend for children and grandchildren as they look at the family photo behind them and that clock keeps ticking. And you want to use it as an excuse to be lazy as you watch the greatest nation ever designed and you say, you can't stop it. We just read Jeremiah. If you would repent of your apathy, God will intercede. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways of laziness, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You see, the folks that are in this room right now, most of you, you, you weren't churchgoers. You're liberty lovers. And it's time to dust off the old books and awaken to the role the church has always meant to play. You guys work. You're busy about God's business. And people say, well, that's not what it's about. The Westminster Catechism tells us why we're on this earth. <laughs> I like the Westminster Catechism, but they got this one wrong. What is the chief end of man? And they said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's sweet. But that's not the chief aim. God said it in the very first book, in the very first chapter, in the very first statement he made to the very first man he created. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the seas, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, here we go, here's here's your marching orders, this is your purpose. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing. You're going to bring order out of this chaos. The secular progressive left only deconstructs and rips apart. Any city they're in control of is burning. Only those who understand the Lord build, the rest destroy. God said, you have dominion. Not dominionism where you're going to usher in a utopia. But the idea that you, by the wisdom God has given, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. The Bible says sin is a reproach to any nation. When, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, and when the wicked rule, the people grumble. And, and yet, we still say we don't have a responsibility. And that is the chief aim of man. We've got work to do. Just look at the family photo. You're next. You're moving up. There's people behind you. Fix it. And don't tell me your Bible justifies your apathy. I don't wanna hear when he's coming back. I know he's coming back. Every generation has awaited his soon return, but they've been down busy pushing brooms and working and building what you're enjoying while you've been sitting there twiddling your thumbs, looking up, going, when's he coming? You might as well put nickels in your pocket, wear purple, and wait for Haley Bob. We got work to do. Because he said too much coffee. <laughs> Luke 19. This is it. I'm finished. I'll be done at 12:30. Jesus enters and he passes through Jericho, and and this is a. All right, tell him I'll be finished shortly. That keeps ringing. I'm gonna. Who is it? I'm finding you. Where are you? Oh, thank God. Okay, good. Because <laughs> we have a little button and it your seat. So, so, so Jesus is coming into Jericho, and there's a tax collector named Zacchaeus, and they're boo, and, and he's rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, so he climbs up into this, this tree in, in Luke 19, a sycamore tree. Jesus is passing through, he looks up, he sees Zacchaeus, he says, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. He's going to stay in a tax collector's house. A wayward Jew, by the way, because Zacchaeus, you know. And he's like, and Jews hated him, Romans, you know, just abused him. And the guy is playing everybody. He's the worst government official you can imagine. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house to hang out. When they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation. I restore fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And here we is, here it is, is what we, we close with. Now, as they heard these things, the people are listening, watching how he's dealing with this wayward, tax collecting, corrupt government agent. As they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. They had the same problem 2,000 years earlier that everyone's having right now. Oh, it's going to happen any minute now. You're just wasting your time. I don't know why you even want to try to do a recall. You're just stupid. The Lord's coming back. You're part of the problem. Seriously, Greta Thunberg brings us more hope than you do. That's not the interpretation of scripture. And here's what Jesus says. Because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, therefore he told them this parable. He says, A certain nobleman went to a far country, received for himself a kingdom, uh, and, and, and he was going to come to return. And so he called his ten servants and he delivered them ten minas each. He gave it to them. And, and you know the story of the Minas and how they had to replicate it and make money with it. But he turns to him and he says this: he says, Do business until I come, occupy until I come. Get busy. Work. Do your work. Occupy until I come. The word occupy, he says at the end of this Luke 19 passage, he says, when you hear of these things, then look up. You know why they have to look up? Because they're busy working. They're not sitting on a mountain in Montana around a chain link fence with a, you know, Doberman in an AR-15. They're working. They're contending for their neighbor and they're loving their community and they're contending for liberty. When that happens, and you can read it, it's bizarre. When that happens, everyone know. Then you can look up. Hey, wow. Huh. Well, that's crazy. But in the meantime, push the broom and get your job done. Help your kids. Prepare for the next generation. Build things you won't get to enjoy. Plant trees of whose shade you'll never know. Quit being self-consumed and temporal. Last story, and this is true. In the early life of our nation, in the Connecticut legislature, the Speaker of the House of the Connecticut legislature, uh, cool guy, I've done a story on him before. He was busy working, they were in session, and, and an, uh, uh, an unknown eclipse or some sort of an event happened on the eastern seaboard that darkened all of the eastern seaboard states. And, and they all thought that it was the return of Christ because it was a very biblical community back then. And they all thought that the Lord's coming. They all started to panic. And the legislature saying, let's adjourn. And the Speaker of the House is like, we're not adjourning. And they're like, no, God's returning. You understand. We gotta go. We gotta get to Montana. <laughs> and they wanted to prepare for the Lord's coming. And they, they were on the verge of panic. And the Speaker of the House gaveled the floor and he was a devout Christian. He he knew the scriptures, but he said this. He acknowledged the darkness and the fear that it stirred up in them. But he said these words. He says, The day of the Lord is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause to adjourn. And if the Lord is returning, I for one choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, get me some candles. We got work to do. Now that's a good eschatology. Folks, the nation needs clarity. There's, you you can see how messed up it is. Folks want to be inspired, but more than that, the generations behind you, they're looking to you to fill that seat that's been emptied, and they want to see examples when they move forward. There's a bit of, all this has been a lesson for me, and I give it to you. Every one of these verses Everything that I experienced in San Diego, Tampa, flight attendants, letters I've received, God's speaking to us. And, and we don't have a spirit of fear. And, and apathy is not permitted in this room. If you don't like it, go to another church. Oh, and like I say, where are you gonna go? There isn't any. <laughs> Some are open now. And they're eating like this. <laughs> Folks, Let's set the captives free, this is the call of God upon our lives. Let the Lord find us busy. And I do hope he returns, but when he does, this will be the busiest church on the planet, because these folks are servants. God bless you guys, and may the Lord fill you with the spirit in Jesus' name. Uh, while they're getting ready to close us in a song, this was a letter I went to my mailbox, I saw it and I'm like, I don't wanna open it, because that's scary when you get one to your house. And I looked for powder and nothing came out. <laughs> Dear Pastor McCoy, Michelle, I wanted to write and introduce our family to you. My name is, I'm an immigrant from Iraq. I came here when I was just from, and I escaped socialism, war torn country. My husband, our children, I won't say the names. We found God Speak last year, July 2020, by accident. We just returned from vacation and we saw tons of people outside the church with Trump flags. We thought it was a Trump rally and we decided to stop by. <laughs> Little did we know it was because you were defying a court order. We've been coming to Calvary ever since. And they go on to share the story how much you've all blessed them. And you're making a difference. Just like the flight attendant said to me, you're making a difference, don't quit. I told her, I go, you know why I'm on this flight? Because I have the privilege to be the pastor of the coolest congregation on the planet. You're making a difference. Let's stand and worship the Lord. (laughs)